This morning, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we'll begin reading in verse 12, and we'll go down through verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15 and 12, the Bible says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they which also then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and asking that your spirit would do the work that only you can do among us, that you'd open our minds and open our hearts to this precious truth, that you would help it to catch fire within our souls and that we would be caught up in its glory and its wonder. I ask that you stand preeminent from your word this morning, that you would help me to speak only what is needed and that you would Guide our minds and hearts as we walk together for these next few minutes. I thank you for all that you've done. We give you glory for all that you have done and all that you will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. So this morning we come to our second sermon in our series for April. Um, The sermon series is titled, Why It Matters, and it's all revolving around the resurrection and speaking about why it matters, why it is so important to us. Sometimes we, we kind of relegate it to just facts, like this happened without any real effects in our lives. And we have to take the Bible from being just facts to being an intimate heart knowledge, an intimate mind knowledge to know what it means for me and what it does for me. It's one thing to simply read and say, yes, Jesus died on the cross. I agree with that fact. And it's another to know He was on that cross for me, saving me from my sins, and to accept Him by faith and to believe in Him. That's where it takes the step from just being information to being reality and truth for me. And we have to do that with the resurrection. It means something for you. It means something for me. Not only just individually, but as a body and there's many things that it can speak to in our lives, and I just want to focus on some of that this month. Okay? Last week, we, we showed from the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that, the, that it was promised. The resurrection was promised. The Bible promised that this would happen. God said it would happen. And that helps us in this way. That we know that God keeps His Word. God keeps His promises. He told us about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That happened. He kept His Word. So every promise that He gives to us, everything that He says to us, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we can stand sure on and know He's going to do what He says. And if I have any doubt, look what Christ did. He kept His Word. 
God does exactly what He says He will do 100% of the time. This week, we're going to shift our focus to the internal effects of the resurrection. How it affects our state of being, okay? How it affects our mind, how it affects our heart. And the focus for this morning's message is, here's why it matters. It brings peace. The resurrection brings us peace. In fact, that's the title for this morning's message. And we're also going to talk a good deal about hope today. How it brings us hope and how that hope produces peace within us. And that's something that's lacking today, isn't it? Talk to your friends in the world or just go out in the world and you're going to see a real lack of peace. I'm not talking world peace. I'm talking peace within people's hearts. Peace within families. Peace within marriages or friendships. That is lacking. Peace in an individual. You really don't find that too much. You know what you do find? You find anxiety or you find anger or you find agitation. People are just stirred up, aren't they? Or you find uh, restlessness. And instead of being at peace with one another, people cause strife or division and you, you find jealousies and bitterness. Sound about accurate when you talk to people out in the world? They're not at peace. No, instead they're negative and spiteful and hurtful. Hurtful words, hurtful hurtful actions, things I'm sure you've experienced. You've had people act that way. Hopefully you haven't returned it. But you've had people act that way towards you. And I think much of it is because of a lack of peace. People are not at peace. Well, it should not be so with those who know who Jesus is. It should not be so with those that have placed their faith in Christ. For those who are hoping in Christ. We have peace because He lives. And that is the focus for today. You're probably wondering how I got that out of the text when it doesn't, it doesn't even contain the word peace. In fact, it only says hope one time. Well, I think you'll see as, as you track with me and we walk through what Paul's saying here together, I think you'll see that's exactly what he's getting at. So what I want to do first this morning is take a couple steps back from what we believe. For us, the resurrection is a given. We believe Jesus rose from the dead and He lives forevermore. That is a tenet of the faith. That is a non-negotiable of the Bible. You understand that? You don't, if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe God for who He is. In fact, you cannot be saved without believing that. It's that important. Whosoever believeth in his heart and confesses with his mouth that what? God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It's that important. And what we need to do is take a couple steps back and maybe consider some objections to the resurrection. And let me just clarify this. By the way, when I say resurrection, I'm not talking about some spiritual, like, enlightening. The word word resurrection means to stand up. We are talking, when we say about the resurrection of Christ, we are talking about the physical, bodily standing up of Jesus of Nazareth and by extension, all those who believe. We are talking about a physical, bodily resurrection. Okay, so what if that didn't happen? 
That's the angle Paul's coming at here in our text. What if it didn't happen? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Why is it so important if, if Jesus rose from the dead? You know, maybe he was a great guy and he, he died, but rising again from the dead, the literal body standing up, eh, okay. So what if it didn't happen? And we need to develop that thought, and that's what I want to do first for this morning. Um, for, for the first point this morning is let's develop the denial of the resurrection. Let's, let's take that thought and go with it. You need to know that there were those in Paul's day who said, nope, that didn't happen. In fact, that doesn't happen. There is no resurrection after this life. We live this life and then that's it. There is um, no resurrection for anyone. Now, they went by different groups and different names. You would probably be most familiar with the group in the Bible, the Sadducees. You've read that before. That's what they believed. And that's why Jesus and Paul talked to them very specifically about some things. They believed that there was no resurrection. This is it. This is life. Okay? He may have died, but he did not rise from the dead. He did not stand up again, literally, from the dead. That's what they were saying. And listen, that's not confined to 2,000 years ago, is it? People live that way today. People think that way today. I was just talking talking with Brother Brian before services about this. You remember YOLO? You You only live once. I don't know if that's still popular, but remember seeing that everywhere, hearing that everywhere? It's kind of going along this mindset. It's all about right here and right now. The focus is on what I can do do now, and there's little to no thought of eternal things. I'm living for me, I'm living for what I can experience right now, and the rest doesn't matter. And so when you begin to talk of of a resurrection or even eternal things, they shake their head and they say, no, I don't believe that, I don't accept that. And what Paul says here is, okay, you want to say that? That's fine. But let's think about what that means. Let's think about what that means, what it really means, and let's go, let's go along and, and see what the implications is. I, I don't think you, you understand what you're saying, is what Paul's getting at here. And I, I don't think people understand the implications of thinking that way. Because in the end, it's hopeless. If this is all there is, it's hopeless. If there is no resurrection, if Christ did not rise again from the dead, it's hopeless. We have no hope. So let's follow his thinking. Verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, which is what we preach, isn't it? How say some among you that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If there is no resurrection, Christ didn't rise. So what does that mean? If you remember last week, we made clear, we wanted to make clear that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Plus nothing, minus nothing. You can't take one of those out. You can't have just the the death and the burial without the resurrection. Then it's not the gospel. You can't have the cross and the resurrection without the burial or the burial and the resurrection without the cross. You can't take any of those out. Because if you do, you have major problems. And that's why Paul says in the first four verses of the chapter, I delivered to you the gospel that Christ died, He was buried, and He rose again. So, 
people are wanting to take out this resurrection. He says, you don't understand what you're doing. And he's going to start to walk them through that. Okay, look in verse 14. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. He says, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, then what are we doing preaching? It's useless. It's futile. After all, preaching, true gospel preaching is to be centered on the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that is the focus, if that is the, the, the main point of preaching, why are we doing it if it didn't happen? I'm wasting my time up here. We're just talking about some dead guy. And your profession is vain. Your faith is vain. You claim to have received and believed the gospel by faith. Why? Why would you believe in some dead martyr who's just the same as every other man if he didn't rise from the dead? You might as well believe in... What's the guy that just died? The one that had the parade? Yeah. Might as well just believe in him. If Christ didn't rise from the dead. Because... He didn't do anything else that another man couldn't do. He did the same thing if he didn't rise from the dead. Why believe if he isn't risen? Why preach if he isn't risen? Verse 15, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Every preacher, you know who first preaches the resurrection? Do you know what the oldest Bible in the book is? It's Job. Job is the one that was written first. And you know what he says in his book as he writes this? With my eyes I shall see my Redeemer. In my flesh I shall see Him even though I be dead. Job, the first preacher recorded, talks about the resurrection of the dead. So every preacher from Job on down through the thousands of years even up till now, all of those who proclaim the true gospel across all of the ages, all of those who have given their lives for this gospel truth, they're all liars. All of them frauds because they're speaking about something that didn't happen. All of the countless hours spent, all of the lives giving, given for nothing if He didn't rise again. And every church that stands on the resurrection, every church that stands for our risen Savior, every time that is proclaimed, we are proclaiming falsehood if Christ is not risen. Verse 16, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. As Paul, that's Paul's way of saying, that's what you're saying. Do you begin to understand it now? I think, hopefully in the minds of his readers, and hopefully in our minds, this point should be starting to sink in, just how vitally important the resurrection is, how much it means. You take that out of the equation, everything changes, doesn't it? Everything changes. And Paul's going to take it a step further, verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sin. It is useless for us to believe if He is not risen, because if He is not risen, He cannot save us. 
He cannot save us if He did not rise again from the dead. He is not the Savior. He is not the atonement. He is not the sacrifice that is accepted. He is not the one who defeated sin and death if He is not risen. If He is not risen from the dead, He's just a martyr. He's just a teacher. He's just a prophet. And prophets don't save anyone. So if this is true, you are still in your sins. Isn't that why we preach the gospel? So that we can have redemption from sin? So that we can be saved from the sin that has infected us? The sin that has uh, caused us to be separated from God and caused all of this pain in our life? We come to Christ to be forgiven? We place our faith in Him because not only did He shed His blood on the cross for my sin... But He defeated sin and death by coming out of that grave so I can look to Him and know that He is the Savior. The resurrection is the proof of what He did on the cross. Countless times, the Bible says, not only did He take up His own life and rose again from the dead, but God has raised Him up showing that He is the sacrifice that is accepted. Well, if that didn't happen, we have no hope. Romans chapter 4 says He was raised for our justification. Raised for our justification. Well, if He wasn't raised for our justification, I have no salvation. And we are still in our sins. Furthermore, verse 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Those who have died have perished. Listen, perish doesn't mean to cease to exist. The word means destroyed. Here, let's let's put it in plain words. Those who have believed, those who have lived their whole lives for Him, even to the point of death, even to the point of suffering, if Christ is not risen, they are in hell like everyone else. All of this summed up in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Without the resurrection, it's hopeless, beloved. It's hopeless. We have no hope. We are doomed. We are damned with no hope. And any faith or obedience to to somebody who is not risen again from the dead is useless. In fact, we might as as well have the attitude it says in verse 32. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Why on earth would we do this if it's not true? Why would we try to live better? Why would we try to live different if we're serving somebody who didn't rise again? Do you understand why to deny the resurrection is foolish? Do you understand why that's not the way we ought to be thinking and why it is so utterly foolish to to deny that? Well, we know the truth, don't we? We know that that is not the case. Praise God, beloved, that is not the case. What does he say in verse 20? But now is Christ risen from the dead. That is the truth of Scripture. He is risen. He is alive forevermore. Death could not hold Him. It could not have dominion over it. He defeated death and sin, and He has given to us the victory. Christ is risen. Physically, bodily, He is alive. And it says, what does it say there in verse 20? Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. 
You know what that means? He is the example of what will happen to us. He is the promise of what will happen to us. And we're going to talk about that next week, Easter Sunday, of the promises that come to us in the resurrection. But He is the example. That's going to happen for me someday. Someday I'm going to rise again a physical, bodily resurrection. How do I know that? Because Christ is risen from the dead. And again, that means everything for us, doesn't it? It means everything that He is alive. So let's look back and show the fact of the resurrection. That's point number two. Let's show the fact of the resurrection. People can say what they want. I don't know know any other way to say it, but this is a proven fact. It happened. That's like me saying, I think I've used this example, it's like me saying Maine doesn't exist. I don't think it exists. Well, I see it on a map. Doesn't matter to me, I haven't seen it. I haven't been there. I haven't taken that travel. So, for me, it doesn't exist. I say Maine does not exist, and anybody who believes in that is foolish. Does that change the facts? No. And people walk around saying things like that about the Bible. You can say it all you want. It doesn't change the fact. Christ is risen. He is alive. Not only because the Bible declares it as the perfect, infallible, inerrant Word of God, this is truth. Not only does the Bible declare it, but look at what Paul says in verse 5. Backtrack just a little. Look what he says. People saw him. (laughs) And then he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, and of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. That means died. After that, he was seen of James, then of all of the apostles. Verse 8, and last of all, he was seen of me, as one born out of due time. He says, hey, you, want, you got questions? Go ask the people who actually saw him, like Peter, James, and the twelve, and 500 plus people. It's hard to, it's hard to argue with over 512 people who saw him with their own eyes. Paul says, go ask them. They'll tell you the same thing. He is alive. He is not dead. He is alive. It happened. He is risen. And so that means some things for us. It means preaching is not vain. It's vital. Preaching is not vain. It's vital. It's so important. What does he say in verse 1 and 2? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. People are saved by the preaching of the gospel, of the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It becomes not useless or futile. It's vital. It's important. And it must be done. The message must go out of salvation at all costs. And your faith is not in vain, but your faith is vital and well. Not in importance, but in life-giving. Your faith is what caused you to be born again, right? For by grace you are saved through what? Through faith. You need to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what brings you eternal life. Without that, we perish eternally in hell under God's judgment. And that's why the Bible says, look to Christ. Place your faith in Him as your Savior. Your faith is vital, not vain. We have been made alive by the One who is alive by our faith in Him. And we are not liars. We are not false witnesses. But we are witnesses to the truth. 
We declare the truth of God and God's love and God's grace and God's mercy in Christ. And all those that have declared it from time till now, all those that have given their lives for it, have done so for the most important truth ever. He lives. He is risen. And beloved, if He lives, then He saves. See, I am not in my sins anymore because He lives. I am saved by His blood. He has taken my sin. We spoke of that this morning in class, that there in that garden, He took upon the sin of the world all of my sins, all of my shortcomings, my blasphemy, my anger, my hatred. Fill in the blank with whatever you can find in your heart. All of that. He took upon His own body. First Peter says, He bore in His body our own sins. Isaiah 53 says, For our sins He was wounded, bruised for our iniquities. He took those to the cross and stood between us and God as the sacrifice. He stood in our place as the atonement. We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to atone for our own sins. But Christ took our sins and stood in that place for us. On that cross, He paid the wages of my sin. What does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is what? And He gave His life for my sins and paid my wages. It should have been me there. It should have been me to die and to bear the wrath of God for sin. But Christ took our place. And He paid for it with His precious, perfect, sinless, saving blood that He spilt for your sin and for mine. He gave His life as the atonement for sin. But He didn't just die. Any man could appear to do that. Any man could say some things. No man can raise himself again from the dead. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to give my life as the ransom for many. And in three days, I will rise again. And that's exactly what happened. He came out of that grave three days later, victorious over sin. He paid the wages of sin, and then he defeated death. Death couldn't hold him. Death's not going to get it over. On him, he walked out victorious, showing that I have paid it all. I am victorious. I am the Savior. I pray that you've placed your faith in Him. He died for us. He has risen for our justification. If we would simply believe that He did so for us. I have. I did when I was eight years old. Just a young boy, and it was simple young faith. Simple childlike faith, as the Bible says. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that if I died, I'd go to hell because I was guilty before God. I remember that Sunday morning, the preacher was preaching, and he told me of the cross, and he told me of salvation in Christ. And it was later that night, I went home to my own parents' bedroom, bowed at the foot of their bed, and simply asked and believed as I asked, Jesus, save me. And you know what? He did. At that moment, I was born again. All of my sin forgiven. The dead spirit within me taken away. And I was made alive by the blood of Christ. Made alive by the power of His resurrection. Made alive because He died for me. And I placed my faith in Him. Oh, I pray that you know that.
I pray that there is a point in your life that you have turned to Him and believed in Him. If you have done so, you are not in your sins. You are forgiven. There's never a doubt where I'm going when I die. Because I know He lives. He paid for it. He paid for my salvation. He paid for yours with His blood and sealed it with His resurrection. And those that have died in faith, they're not perished. They're with Him. They go to be with Him in His presence, just as He promised. So what is, look back in verse 19. What does Paul say? If it didn't happen, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be most miserable. We are of all men most miserable or to be most pitied? No. That is not the case. Because He is risen. We do have hope in Christ in this life. And so we are not in any way miserable. We are not in any way to be pitied. No, we are to be envied. Envied because of the hope that I have. I walk through this life full of hope in Christ. We are to be admired because of the rock-solid foundation upon which we stand. Because we have hope, because He lives. Look in verse 22. Excuse me, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, that's Adam he's referencing. By Adam came death. Doesn't Romans 5 say death came by one came... Oh man, I better... Let me read it to you so I don't mess it up. By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. It's talking about Adam. By Adam's transgression, we have fallen into sin. We are all guilty just the same. For since by man came death, by man, this is talking now about Christ, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Adam has brought us sin. Christ brings us life. Do you see that? Sin that leads unto death, Christ brings resurrection from the dead. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That is the hope that we have. That I will be made alive with Him. That's a hope that we have within us. That is your hope this morning. And that gives us meaning. That gives purpose. That gives direction in this life. We know what has happened and we know what waits for us. So we have hope in Christ. Now, let's spend some time with this. Sometimes when we talk about hope, it's like we really don't know if something's going to happen. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope I win the lottery. I hope so-and-so is nice to me. We use it in that kind of a form, right? Like we're not really sure. We just really kind of wish it would be this way. That's not the biblical use of hope. When the Bible speaks about hope, it talks about something we're assured of. An expectation. I hope the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I know it's going to happen. I expect it to come up. My hope is in the sun coming up. You see the difference? It's not some wishy-washy thing. It's something that I know is going to happen. And our hope is in Christ. My assurances, my expectations, my knowledge of things that are true stand in Him and what He has done. And the Bible speaks much about it. Here, Listen to what it says in Colossians. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. 
My hope is in heaven. And it's not something that's maybe or if. It's an expectation. I am assured when my eyes close in death here, I go to heaven. That is a hope that I have because of the word of the gospel. The gospel has brought me that hope. Verse one, uh, chapter 1 and verse 23 of Colossians says, Be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That assurance, that strength, that expectation that it brings us. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's a hope that is given to us that is tied into the resurrection. Again, some things we'll, we'll talk about in depth next week, but I want you to see it now. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's death. And by the way, I don't know if you notice this in Scriptures. I think it's a beautiful thing. When he talks about people who die believing, it always says they fall asleep. Because it's a peaceful thing. It's something not to be feared because of the hope that we have. Verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, For if we believe that Jesus died and what? Rose again. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus or who are dead in Christ will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or precede them which are asleep. For if the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He's speaking about the end of all things, that those who have died in Christ that have gone before us, they will rise again in a physical bodily resurrection to be caught up with the Lord, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up with Him as well to be ever with Him. That is a promise of a physical bodily resurrection. And so I can have hope. When someone I know passes away and they are a believer, I know they're in the presence of Him now and they will be with Him forever. That brings hope. Paul says there's some who don't have that. No, this brings us hope. First John, we don't have time for it. First John talks about the appearance of Christ and knowing that we're going to be like Him. Things that Paul's talking about right here in First Thessalonians. Is if you have that hope within yourself, you purify yourself. It's a hope that we have. First Peter in chapter 1 talks about we are begotten again to a living hope. Talks about an inheritance and God keeping us and working through us. That's a living hope that is within us. Romans chapter 5 says the hope that we have will never disappoint. All of this hope that has been given to us, all of this expectation, this assurance... Beloved, it is all because He has risen. That's the linchpin. That's the stamp. That's the the assurance of everything. Not just because He died, the cross is important. Not just because He was buried, but it is all sealed. It is all powered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Because He lives, I have hope. Because He lives, I know His promises will be kept. No, we are not to be pitied by the world. We are to be envied. People should be asking us, why are you so hopeful? Well, it's because I serve a risen Savior. In fact, this hope is something that's not to be kept to ourselves, but it is something that must be proclaimed. Because you know people who need this hope in their lives. Maybe they're going along and they're pretty hopeless. Or they've put their hope in some other things. Things that, what does the Bible say? That the moth eats and rust corrupts. Things, they find their happiness, they find their substance in things. And they find when those things fail, they're left pretty hopeless. When the bank account runs dry, when the job ends, when people leave. And if they're basing their hope on that, they're going to be left hopeless. Well, we can tell them of the hope that burns brightly within our hearts, even within our very beings. I serve a risen Savior who has given me some promises of heaven, some promises for this life. And it needs to be shared with them. They need that hope. And they also need what it brings. And this this is going to be our final point this morning. Hope brings us peace. The hope that we have brings us peace. This hope, all of these truths that we talk about, all of these realities, they deliver peace to our hearts, don't they? A deep, a strong, a gentle peace. I have peace in what I preach. I have peace in being here and doing what we do and reading this book and pouring over each word. I have peace in that. Because I know the message is true. I know the message saves. I know that this is right because He's risen again. I know all that goes with it is right. And then you know what? That brings peace to my heart. I don't ever have to get up here and and have the text set before me and wonder, I I hope this is going to be right. My only worry is that I do the text justice. That I stay true to what the Bible says. But my peace in the Bible, my peace in the songs, my peace in all that we do here is rock solid because I know whom I have believed in. I have peace in where I'm going. I know who holds my eternity. I know who has secured it. He who is risen has secured it. And I have peace as I go through this life. Psalm 29.11 says this, The Lord will bless His people with peace. You think about that. One of the markers of the people of God should be peace. Because we know who holds everything. Not only did He die for us, He rose again and He's given us promises and He's kept His promises. That should bring not only hope, but peace to our hearts. John 16.33 says this, These things I have spoken unto you, that in Me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. A familiar passage, you know it. Probably have read it many times, maybe even memorized it, but that's good. 
We ought to be storing up Scripture, but I want you to see a promise that we have here. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 and 6 is, Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, not the peace of the world, not the peace of your own mind, not the peace of somebody else, the peace of God. The peace that comes from God, which passeth, All understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That very peace, the peace that's sometimes hard to explain, the peace that comes when it seems like it shouldn't, the peace that I have when everything around me is falling down, it keeps or guards my heart, my mind, and guards my heart in Christ Jesus. This is talking about more than anxious thoughts. No, it keeps, our, it keeps and guards our minds and our hearts from negativity and bitterness and jealousy and anger and all of these things that are going on in the outside world. And when we are kept by the peace of God, there is no desire to, to cause division. There's no desire to get caught up in those things of the world because your soul is resting quiet and calm. In who? Through Christ Jesus. The One who is risen and has given us promises. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body. We're called to peace in our own hearts. We're called to be peaceful as His body, the church, at peace with Him, at peace in Him, because of the hope that we have, because He lives. It's all connected. So I would ask this morning, does does peace rule in your heart? Are you calmly resting in Him? Is your hope built in Him or is it built in something else? Maybe you find yourself anxious or angry or bitter or restless or any of those things we mentioned at the the start of the message and you, you find those things in your life and in your own mind and in your own hearts. Perhaps maybe you need to pray for peace. When things happen in the world and governments do what the government's going to do and laws are passed that are absurd, you know, I think there's a, a part of it that should bother us and we should pray for things to go God's will. But at my core, it doesn't shake me. You know why? I know how it ends. Jesus reigns. <laughs> This world can do what it wants. In the end, He comes back, He reigns supreme, and I'm with Him forevermore. And you know what? If things begin slipping down and down and down, you know what that means? I'm getting closer and closer and closer to seeing Him with my own two eyes. It doesn't shake me. It's okay. I'm at peace. Maybe when I go through trials, trials can shake us up, right? It might cause pain and it might cause some things in my mind. Let's be, let's be honest, we're human. But in the end, He can handle it. He rose again from the dead. There's pretty much nothing He can't handle. So I know He's got me and He's got this. I'm at peace with that. Or what about when people fail? My hope's in Him, not 
things or not people or not people being perfect. I know He's going to keep me. I know He's going to work in my own heart. This peace can, the subject of peace can run so deep and, and infiltrate just about every area of our lives. That's why it's so important that we, we be resting in Him. And that peace that we have is based on the hope that we have because we serve Him who is risen again from the dead. So I would encourage you again this morning to dwell on the truth that you serve a risen Savior. Death has not conquered Him. Sin has not conquered them. He killed them both. And if He stands in victory over sin, if He stands in victory over death and is alive right now forevermore, and the Bible says making intercession for us, then that gives me so much hope as I hope in Him, and that hope gives me peace. One more reason why the resurrection matters so much. It brings us peace to serve Him who is alive. I pray... This morning, if you find in your own heart that you're searching or that you're not at peace with God or you're not at peace maybe even in your own family, that you would turn your eyes to Christ. In the end, it's all about Him. It always goes back to Him. To either being like Him or trusting in Him or placing my faith in what He's done. And I would ask you this morning to turn your eyes back to the fact that He is alive. And ask for that peace. Lord, give me peace in my heart. That peace that passes understanding, the peace that comes from God, the peace that is in and through Christ. And that we may stand firmly, calmly, confidently in the fact that He lives. Let's pray. Father, I ask that these words have been helpful. I ask, Lord, that our, our minds and our hearts have been drawn to You and the great things that You have done for us, Lord, and the fact that we serve one who lives forevermore and stands in victory and gives us that victory through faith. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen our hearts just now. Help us to understand the hope that you have given us. Help us to be filled with the peace that you would give us through that hope, Lord. I ask that you would draw us to yourself. We would find strength and help in you for whatever the need is. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.